Amen. Amen. Stay standing as we read God's Word together from Psalm chapter 130, uh, which is on page 518 of those uh, Bibles in the seats in front of you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, we highly encourage you to follow along there. And so I'm going to read this passage together. I'm going to ask Brother David Sutherland to come and uh, read read this passage for us. Uh, Again, we're in Psalm chapter 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his words I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Amen. This is God's word. It's his word that uh, the words attest about itself, that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and um, thank you for um, the the, uh, grace Uh, that you show to us uh, through giving us your word. Lord, may we sit um, with your word now, understanding that, um, Lord, it speaks to to where we are. Um, It speaks to uh, the fears and the anxieties. It speaks to the sadness. Um, It speaks to the joys that we have. Um, And so, Lord, help us uh, to, to hear your word this morning um, in the way that you have, by your spirit, chosen to minister to us through your word. And um, we thank you for this beautiful psalm, Psalm 130, and uh, what it teaches us about your grace to us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Uh, I was studying this psalm and I found myself at a time or two legitimately thinking, like, I can't believe that God has given us his word, <laughs> you know? Uh, not, in, not in like a, I can't believe it. Um, I do believe that. But there are times where you are reading God's word and you just think, like, I can't believe that we have a source to this kind of life-giving, life-changing truth. Um, and I pray this morning that that's what we experience together. Um, I was telling uh, my wife yesterday, she was out of town for a few days, and so um, I made it, I survived. Um, none of the children ate me or uh, put me under, um, but the Lord was on my side um, and not theirs, because they would have. If it would not have been for him, they would have eaten me, uh, like Psalm 124 says. So um, told, I told my wife that yesterday that just for many different reasons, this was just a per- peculiarly heavy week, um, that there was just heaviness associated with this week, uh, whether that was conversations had, whether that was uh, just, just the, the, the reality of, of the weight of this world, um, all of those things. Um, and then I had the opportunity over the last couple of days to sit in this text. And man, what a, it was from that place where, where I found from the Spirit of God what a magnificent joy 
that God speaks to us through his word. Um, and I want, us, I want us to know that today. Um, maybe you're like, why are we sitting here listening to you talk? Well, we're listening to the words of God speak from the scriptures. Um, and this might be the last thing that you think you need today. But let me just tell you, it is the most important thing that you need today um, is, is God's word in your life. Uh, because whether or not this past week was a heavy week um, or the week before that was a heavy week, it may be that this week is the heavy week. Um, and I believe that God's word speaks to us and that we, have, we can sit in God's word and say, wow, I can't believe that God speaks to us through his word, through these eternal transcendent realities. Um, and so Psalm 130 is a magnificent psalm. Uh, if, I've, if, if I haven't set that up yet, um, I want us to see this morning that Psalm 130 is a magnificent psalm, one that is packed with gospel realities, one that finds ultimate fulfillment in the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came and gave his life so that we may have peace and fellowship with our Heavenly Father. In fact, it is it's highly instructive to us. Don't just, don't just receive these words as passive from Psalm 130, but a highly instructive um, passage of Scripture for those who have endured great and overwhelming hardship and suffering, as seen in the opening verse. We see in verse 1, look at what the psalmist says, O Lord, or out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. I tried to, I tried to wrap my mind around the depths that one may experience, that may come close to what the psalmist describes. And I could only think of stories that I've heard from other people. As I thought about the depths and what the depths oftentimes represent, what depths oftentimes represent in the scriptures, the only thing I could really come close with when experiencing these depths is the stories that I have heard from others, such as one that is re very relevant in our body, um, in, in our church body, um, such as the terror that our Afghan brothers and sisters experienced two weeks ago this week, uh, August the 15th. If, if you recall, if, if, you, uh, if, if, if you watch the news, you know that there is a, a major um, anniversary coming up. And I, I started to think about what is the weight of this depth? What is the depth of this depth? And I thought about our Afghans, bro, Afghan brothers and sisters two years ago this week as they sat outside the Abbey Gate at the Kabul airport. And I, 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 I thought of them experiencing the extremes of two ever-present but simultaneous realities. And so we've heard these stories. We watched a video about the testimony of our brothers and sisters. Uh, if, if, you've, if you've interacted any with our brother who's here, you, you, you have heard these stories, but two ever-present simultaneous realities. The first being uh, that security and safety and escape um, that, that existed inside the gate of the airport. However, this, the, what, the, the second reality being what felt like certain doom in the place they were waiting outside of that gate, knowing that on the other side of this gate was the freedom and the security and the safety that they all desired. And then the, the third weight, the third depth of the situation being their decision to just go back home and the defeat that they felt in that moment. The defeat, the, the, I mean, really, if you hear them tell the story, they, they will tell you, we went back home and we, we expected to die. We expected to, to die. But then 
the, the, the news that they received of the explosion at the very gate that they had just left, that while God is watching over us, he is preserving us. But then, as you have heard the story, the, the reality and the experience of the, the hope and the deliverance when rescue came in the middle of the night, literally out of nowhere. And so maybe you, here's where I want you to listen to this. Maybe that seems like a distant and far off reality, which by the way, it's not. Um, it, it's, it's affected those who are here with us in our church and in our community, but, but maybe you are in the midst of what feels like utter darkness. Maybe you are someone who feels trapped and in utter chaos and with no way out. And if you aren't in that season now, maybe you've been in that season before. And let me tell you, if you haven't been in that season before and you're not there now, it is very likely that one day you will be. Let me just affirm the reality of, of the human experience and the thing that the, the Bible does not in any way lie to us about, that this, is, this may be and very well probably is what you will experience is these moments where it feels like you are overwhelmed and trapped. So this psalm does not give us much information on what this psalmist is suffering, but it certainly speaks to how the believer may endure suffering and the ultimate hope that one may cling to in spite of their suffering. So we don't know like the exact story. And maybe that's, maybe that's another evidence of God's grace to us. You realize that? Maybe it's another evidence of God's grace to us that we don't know exactly what the situation is that the psalmist is enduring. Because how easy is it for us to see certain situations and begin to compare our war stories, right? We love to compare our suffering. Uh, for some of you, maybe you, you, you see other people suffering, you're like, well, at least I haven't suffered that much. And then maybe you are someone who like, you're not sympathetic at all to anybody because of what you've endured. Um, and so maybe it's a great favor to us from the Lord that we don't know exactly what the psalmist is speaking of here. However, what the psalm does do is it gives us a perfect and sufficient instruction on how we may endure suffering and the ultimate hope that one may cling to in spite of the suffering that we endure. That is an important reality. And so... We don't know the depths of which this psalmist cries, but we know with certainty because of God's covenant and God's character and God's son that when we cry out, God hears us. God hears us. And so where does the psalmist find this ultimate comfort? You're like, okay, where, where is the resolve here? Where does he find this comfort? Well, look at verse three and four. It says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The psalmist finds deep and abiding comfort in the forgiveness of God. The psalmist finds this deep and abiding comfort in this forgiveness and this mercy. And so the greatest danger, what the psalmist is telling us, is that despite the depths and despite the reality of his situation, that the greatest danger that we face, church family, listen, and if you're not a Christian, you need to hear this too, that the greatest danger that we face is our iniquities, is the consequence of our sin, is the consequence of our iniquities. And the greatest deliverance that we can possibly experience is deliverance from our sin, 
That's what the psalmist is saying. He's crying from this deep and dark place. And the psalmist doesn't, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to put too many words. This, the psalmist doesn't distract us by what his particular situation is. What he does is he tells us that his comfort is found not ultimately in deliverance from the depths, but his deliverance from his sin. And that the greatest danger that we face is the consequence of our sin and the greatest deliverance with which we can experience is from our sin. And so Psalm 129 that we looked at last week, you know, that really pesky imprecatory psalm, like what do we do with that? Um, Psalm 129, I believe, this is going to sound like a, a little bit of, a, uh, uh, of something that doesn't jive together, but I believe that there is great comfort that can be found in God's justice. I believe that the Bible communicates that to us. In fact, Psalm 129 comforts us with the reality of God's wrath against injustice and the righting of all wrongs. Hey, one of the ways that the resurrection comforts us is by telling us that sin and Satan and death will not always have dominion. That one day, all of those things will be put under the feet of Christ. The final enemy to be defeated is death. And so the justice of God against sin, Satan, and death is a great comfort to us. And so Psalm 129 comforts us with the reality of God's justice. Well, Psalm 130 comforts us with the mercy of God towards those who are forgiven. What a beautiful reality, right? Don't you lo- Let me just say, don't you love the Bible? <laughs> That in one chapter, we can, it can speak so heavily of the justice and the wrath of God towards sin and evildoers. And in the very next chapter, it can help us to rejoice in the mercy that God is ready to extend to those who are forgiven, to those who trust in him. Through faith in Christ, those who could not stand before God due to iniquities can now stand freely and fully forgiven. You see that in this passage, that if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. This is, this is I believe, because what we see in verse 5 coming up, I believe that this is the psalmist just renewing his mind on the truth. That even though he is in the depths, what he is acknowledging there before God is, Father, thank you for the forgiveness that you have given to me freely and fully. And so the psalmist tells us then what is necessary, what is, what is the necessary, not what is necessary, but what is the necessary result of forgiveness. The necessary result of forgiveness, look at verse 4, is what? That you may be feared. That, that God may be feared. So here, so, so fear of the Lord takes on a lot of different angles in the scriptures. There's not one way to define fear of the Lord. Um, there's simply not, because we see all through the Psalms, fear of the Lord connected to all sorts of responses to God and blessings from God. And so here in 130, it says that the fear of the Lord is not related to terror, but to the mercy of God. Now, do we believe that the fear, a component of fearing God is the fact that we will one day stand before him as we, as we enter into eternity? Yes, but there is also a fear of the Lord that results from being forgiven by him revering him, uh, worshiping him. And so the, the fear of the Lord is related not to terror, but to his mercy. Those who have received Christ's mercy are those who will revere and worship him. And then let's look at verse five and six. I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for 
the morning. Forgiveness of God also assures us in our waiting. Isaiah 40, 31. Would somebody read that for us? Would someone read Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 really loud? I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. Anybody else? Anybody else like been on like the phone with customer service lately for pretty much anything? Look how the scriptures, though, talk to us about waiting on the Lord, not in a negative way, but in a positive way. And Isaiah assures us that though the waiting may be hard, that those who wait will be strengthened. Those who wait. Now, what are we waiting on? <laughs> that's 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 maybe the question. I think that I think that this will will tell us that, that it says that more. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Being a watchman comes with the full certainty of the coming of dawn. Like if you are a watchman at night, like you know, eventually the sun comes up and I get to tap out. I get to clock out. Now, that's not necessarily what he's saying here, that we just get to tap out of, of life or, or the Christian life or anything, but the certainty with which a watchman has of the coming sun, that the coming um, daytime is for us a great comfort. Watchmen wait and they watch. And then the sun comes up. And then we also see the source of our assurance and comfort in our waiting is what? What does he say here? God's word, his word. And so God's covenant, God's faithfulness, God's son, that we have a sure word from the Lord. So many people today in their waiting get fidgety, right? We get, we get fidgety. We start looking for a word from something or somewhere. Um, oftentimes, uh, our immediate reaction is not prayer and presence of God. Our ultimate reaction is, what does this person say about this thing? And sometimes the Christian life, many times the Christian life is one of waiting and watching and anticipating and knowing that the Lord will act, that the Lord has spoken, and ultimately through his what? Through his word. Through his word. And so... That is the source, the source and the assurance and the comfort in our waiting is the word of God. The fact that God has not failed, he will not fail, he cannot fail. I love what, I love, right now I'm studying through the book of 1 John. I was telling some people this morning that, you know, once we finish Psalms and then once we finish Matthew and then once we go through Genesis next, uh, we'll probably go through 1 John um, in about 10 years and I'm really excited <laughs> about that. But 1 John is just a, a great source of, of encouragement and hope in our fellowship with our Heavenly Father. And I love, if, if you read, so you read Genesis 1 and John 1, and you see some of the similar language. Well, you go to 1 John 1, and you see that 1 John 1 is very similar. Uh, 1 John, his first epistle, um, is very similar to John's gospel. 
the opening verses. So in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then 1 John 1 um, is, is, is John saying, hey, this Word that I have spoken about, who we've, who we've seen and who we've touched and who we've heard and who we've been in the presence of, we have fellowship with God through Him and through faith in Him, you too have fellowship with God. What a beautiful reality. Sometimes just go look at that. Just go read the opening chapters. I think I've read the first four verses of 1 John a hundred times in the last few weeks. It's just a great source of encouragement. And that is what oftentimes the covenant of God, the promises of God are pointing us to. The reality that all of the promises of God find their yes in Christ. If you want to know how sure and faithful God is to his covenant, Look no further than the sending of his son, Jesus, and what Christ has done for us. And then we see verses 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. When I read this at first, I was like, how does he get from where he is in verse 1 in verse 2 to where he is in verse 7 and 8, where he is crying from the depths and within eight verses. I, I, like, I would like to think that these eight verses span like a period of like 50 years. I don't know. We don't know that they do. But by the, by the end, by the time that the psalmist has renewed his mind on the truth of God's word and God's faithfulness and God's covenant, by the end, he is... He is he is going maybe from inward to outward and calling all of the other people to hope in the Lord with him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that it is, it is oftentimes in our suffering when we feel so alone and isolated, but when we renew our minds on God's truth and on God's word, man, we become proclaimers. I mean, you, you would think, well, this guy, I mean, if this happened today, you would think this guy was disqualified from ministry for the way he was talking about in verse 1 and 2, right? This dude has completely disqualified himself. And by the end, he's proclaiming to all of the people around him, hey, you too, hope in God. Place your hope in the Lord, for in him there is steadfast love and plentiful redemption. He is the redeemer of Israel from all his iniquities. And so we see how the psalm opens and closes. He opens in what seems to be a despairing place. And by the time he concludes, he's inviting others in to this hope that he has. And notice the names that accompany God in Psalm chapter 130. Forgiveness, steadfast love, plentiful redemption. Psalm 130 shows us that it is better to be in the depths, hopeful in God's mercy, than on the mountaintops, positing our own righteousness. That it is better to be in the, in the darkness with great hope in God, our deliverer, than having it all put together up on the mountaintop, posing our righteousness before other people. And I, I hope that's deeply comforting to you. Um, I, I, don't, I don't say that glibly, um, the psalms, psalms are hard to preach. Can I just say that? The psalms are hard for us to, to encourage one another with sometimes, if we could just be honest. Because we think, what place do I have to proclaim this to those who are suffering when I may not be the one suffering? And I will just say that it, is, it has been the practice throughout 
Christian history to renew our minds on what is true in the midst of terrible brokenness and terrible sadness. The reason why the psalm, on one hand, the psalms are, are hard. On the other hand, they are life-giving and easy for us because we see that we are not isolated individuals um, alone in our suffering, and we often wonder, is God going to carry us through? Well, the Psalms were written thousands and thousands of years ago, and can, can I tell you that from the Psalms, we see that God has carried his people through. You're here today. I don't even want to say right, because if you said wrong, that'd be weird. You're, you're here today. That's just a matter of fact. That's not a question. We're here today as the people of God. And if we need any further evidence that God will preserve his people, that God will be faithful to what he has said he will do, the Psalms are a beautiful thing for us. And so again, this Psalm shows us it's better to be in the depths but hopeful in the mercy of God than on the mountaintops, pausing our own righteousness. And so the beauty of the gospel the, the, the ultimate fulfillment of this, the ultimate fulfillment of the reason why we have confidence in the forgiveness of our sins and the plentiful redemption and the steadfast love of God is through his son Jesus, through, through what Christ has done, that the guilt of our sin is taken away by the redemption of Christ. So the guilt of our sin and whatever sin you have committed, the moment that you believe in Christ, not only will you never be punished for that sin, but the very guilt of that sin is taken away from you. The very guilt of the sin, the punishment for your sin, the guilt of your sin is taken away. Um, and, and none of those who are redeemed by Christ can ever be damned. That's a powerful word, right? My kids probably just cringed. You said, what? Those who have been redeemed by Christ can never be damned. They can never be separated. They can never be punished on an account for sin. Christ has suffered our punishment in our stead, and we cannot, we cannot, as Spurgeon says, be sued a second time for our sin. We cannot be sued a second time for the debts already paid. And so this is what the psalmist calls for the hearer to be hopeful and assured in. We've, we've, talked about, we've talked about 1 John, and my mind's been around 1 John for, for months. And I, I love the, the reality of 1 John 1, 9. That from every indication that we have, John is speaking to believers so that they may have joy, right? Hey, I, write to you, I write these things to you so that you may have joy, um, so that you may have... Felt so that you may know what fellowship with God looks like. And 1 John 1, 9 says, again, to Christians, so for, for, for those of us who grew up in a particular kind of setting where we thought, well, we repented once and we just never have to repent again of our sins. Well, I would propose to you that the repentance and the confession that the Bible speaks of and the confession speaks about is an ongoing repentance in, as obedience in the life of the believer, not for justification, not for our justification, but for our fellowship with God. And so 1 John 1, 9, speaking to Christians, imagine this, says, Christian, if you confess of your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Christian, that is a, a, a hopeful thing for us, that for those of you who are stuck in sin, Christian, maybe you are dealing with some anger in your heart today. 
and maybe you don't even know why. Maybe you're, you're dealing with, with some kind of hurt or pain or anger that causes you to lash out at other people. Maybe you are dealing with the sin that we talked about a couple weeks ago that doesn't seem like you can ever be delivered from. The gospel tells us that God is faithful and just to forgive us of sin if we will confess of our sin. And that is a beautiful reality. And so Spurgeon goes on to talk about, he, he goes on to talk about, and I think it's a, a really shocking truth. Christian, if you confess your sin to God, God is faithful to you in forgiving you, but God would be unjust to refuse to forgive you. Because, as Spurgeon says, you can't be sued a second time for your sin. Christ has paid for that sin, and through repentance, through confessing of your sin, Christian, to the Father, you will experience God's forgiveness. You will experience renewed fellowship with God, renewed communion with him, and God is just in forgiving you. What a beautiful reality, right? That, that for, like, we, we don't have a God that we have to just wonder, man, is, is this, like, is this the last straw? Is he just waiting? I don't know, I don't know if you've ever felt that. I remember growing up as a teenager with my stomach just in knots, like, surely that was the final straw. Surely that was it. And yet, we are assured because of what Christ has done and through faith alone in Christ that we are justified before God and that through confession of our sin and repentance of our sin, we can have renewed fellowship with our Father in heaven. What a beautiful truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and the mercy that, that you have shown to us in our salvation through faith in Christ and what he has done. Thank you for the grace that you, that you supply us with each day um, to, to resist sin. Um, it's, not because we're, it's not just because we've got great resolve today um, that, we, that we resist sin. It is because you, by your Spirit, give us the grace to have a distaste for our sin and that through confession, through repenting of our sins, that we can have a level of renewed and restored fellowship with God. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning for those who maybe be wrestling and, and struggling with, am, am I, a, am I a, a saved, secure child of God that maybe by your spirit this morning you would just convict our hearts and, and, and call us back into fellowship with, with you. And so, Lord, even as communion gives us the opportunity each and every week to examine ourselves, that we examine our hearts, we examine those areas in which we, we know are, are, are deadly to us, that, Lord, through, through humble repentance, we can be in fellowship each and every day with you. May we see, Lord, that uh, you have never moved, you've never been the one to move on us that if there's, if there's distance, if there's movement between, between us, it is distance that we, through our, through our sin, have created. And Lord, your, your word calls us back over and over again into fellowship with you and is gracious in, in showing us how to do that. That's by God's grace. And we pray, Lord, this morning that we would have a deep sense of this, that we would 
understand this, that again, it would lead us to, to great rejoicing. It would lead us to great confidence. It would lead us to, to, a, to an assurance that you provide for us. So Lord, if there be any impure way within us, may, may we be attentive and obedient uh, to, to what you are calling us to do and how to handle that. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.